You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, JC softball team. As long as, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, 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 the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know, that crap like that. You know, all this stuff that's contaminated America where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring Little League anymore. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? Turn that damn you Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, oh man, do we have got a great guest lined up for the show. We got Mike Farrell from Rivals National columnist, longtime national director of recruiting there for Rivals. He's one of the more plugged-in guys in all of college football. He's been breaking news left and right. Going to talk to him a little bit about recruiting and what's going on around the SEC, so I'm really looking forward to that. I think you guys are really going to like this interview. Before we get into that, just got a couple quick hitters from around the SEC. Hey, before we get to that, though, there was some promising news. Let's give this guy credit. Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports is reporting that the NCAA is going to end the dead period. Officially, currently goes through May 31st. And if you don't un- follow recruiting that close, you don't know what the dead period means. That just means that uh, assistants and head coaches not allowed to go out on the road and recruit and evaluate and, more importantly, not allowed to host recruits on campus, can't even have the prospects come unofficially to campus, which means they pay their own way. So that's all coming to an end as soon as we hit June. That is expected to be officially announced at any time here this week. So great news, particularly great news for a lot of these first-year coaches in the SEC. I'm going to I asked Clark Lee about that. We'll get to those comments in a moment. But, you know, these coaches need to get around these new players and show them, sell them on their vision and just meet with the staff. And you just can't do it over Zoom, not as effectively. So great news there to start the week here in college football. But, hey, like I said, we got a couple quick hitters here before we get to our interview with uh, Mike Farrell of Rival. So let's just start here in Starkville. We're not a lengthy clip here, but Mississippi State held a scrimmage over the weekend, and Mike Leach met with the media after the scrimmage 
pretty brief. He was down on the field. You know, so he's not been reviewing the film or anything, but just his initial thoughts. There's only about two players here that he really praised. So I'm going to play these clips for you in just a second. But one of them, Starkville native Rufus Harvey receiver. I believe under the previous staff under Joe Moore, I don't think they offered him a scholarship, but I can't remember the story. But I do recall when Mike Leach got down there, Steve Spurrier Jr.'s receivers coach got down there. They targeted Rufus Harvey as a guy that could help fit in this offense and really provide a boost to that Mississippi State receiving core. And as it turned out, I mean, Mississippi State probably had a lot more talent at the receiver position than they knew. A lot of guys returning from that unit, including uh, Jaden Wally, who broke out last season, first year on campus. Osiris Mitchell finally kind of realizing his potential. Malik Heath had a nice close to the season. So we've got some pieces to build around here at the receiving core. You can never have too many options in this Mike Leach offense that throws the ball first, second, third down. It doesn't matter what damn down it is. They're throwing the damn ball. So you're going to need more guys to step up. You're going to take that next step. And I think Rufus Harvey, circling him as a breakout candidate. Let's kick it over to Mike Leach real quick. Rufus caught a couple of touchdowns for you today. Has he been making those plays in practice, and how's he come along? Yeah, Rufus is uh, kind of an uncanny guy. Rufus has uh, – <clears throat> uh, you know, he's competitive. He's got some intangibles, and uh, and uh, he's definitely getting better. All right, so like I said, he did not single out many guys during this media availability, so that gives you an indication of uh, just how impressive Harvey must have been. Scored a touchdown in the scrimmage, and so that's great to hear. But another player that I don't think is getting enough respect outside of Starkville is cornerback Emmanuel Forbes. I don't think people realize how good this guy was last season as a true freshman. Made the freshman All-SEC team. Hell, he had five interceptions last season as a true freshman, including three pick sixes, which that's already got him at the top of the Mississippi State record books, along with a couple others for all time. And not just in a season, in a career. So one more Pick six by Emmanuel Forbes. He's already got the record at Mississippi State. And like I said, that was five interceptions. That led the SEC. And we've got guys like Eric Stokes, Kelvin Joseph, Richard LeCount, Jamin Davis. I mean, these are guys being in the first-round discussion. None of them beat them. They were, they were close. A couple fours and three interceptions in there. But no one in the SEC had more than Forbes. He got a little shout-out here from Coach Leach. Ultimate sign of respect here. What's kind of been your thoughts just defensively? I know today you had some turnovers. I know Forbes had another good pick. We've seen him do that several times, you know, in the regular season and things. But just overall defensively, what are your thoughts? I think Forbes is getting better and better. And I think what they did defensively really well today is they ran to the ball. And, um, you know, that's the thing is, uh, you know, everybody's trying to make, uh, you know, have a perfect execution on a play. Um, which you don't get that very often, but if you run to the ball, you solve a lot of problems. All right, so again, a shorter clip, but they, when Leach calls you out, if he knows your name down there, it means you're a hell of a player in my book. So I thought Mississippi State fans would appreciate that and because you know, you're going to see, just wait for it. Once, uh, and all due respect to these people, but you know when you see the Phil Still magazines and the Athlons and our buddy Pick 6 previews, they're probably all going to have Mississippi State dead last in the West. And, you know, I could kind of see that. I'm not calling out anyone making those predictions. But 
I think Mississippi State, if they were in the SEC East next year, hell, they might they might even win it. I won't go that far, but they'll be they'd be a lot closer to the top than they would dead last in the West. So Mississippi State, a team to watch, particularly if the Zach Arnett defense continues to progress, they could be a very, very dangerous team. And I keep saying it. That damn SEC West is going to be nothing but a minefield this year. All right, so let's kick it down next to old Nashville. Take it down. The Commodores, they just coming off of spring scrimmage of the, as well. I can't recall if this is the first or second scrimmage of the Clark Lee era, but, uh, you know, he keeps things pretty guarded. Not a lot of shout-outs to any individual players or anything. Still, you know, a long way from fielding a team. He said uh, with the upcoming spring practice, Remember, Vanderbilt's one of these teams that's going to have a spring game this weekend. Probably doesn't even have enough players to fill out uh, two rosters to to do a traditional game is what he said. So it'll be interesting to see how they do it. Hopefully uh, a little bit better presentation of what we got at Missouri a couple weeks ago. <laughs> but uh, let's kick it over to Clark Leaves. I asked him about uh, the recruiting window opening back up. Once again, that's spe- scheduled to be June one. They're going to open this thing up. What's the game plan there at Vanderbilt? Do they have a specific strategy in mind? Clark Lee said it's really just about getting these guys on campus. I wanted to ask you about recruiting, and I know you can't get into any specifics, but you know a lot of speculation that uh, on June 1st, things are going to be opening up and programs can host recruits for official and I, I assume unofficial visits. So I'm just wondering, is your program, is that something you're already considering and you're and you're already kind of working behind the scenes. You know, what's the strategy there? Are you, would you like to have guys on campus immediately to, to get to know you and your staff? Or do you want to try to hold those official visits for the fall season? Or is it, maybe is it just a case-by-case basis? Well, it is case-by-case. But just on the whole, like we're, we're really excited to get the doors opened up. And, you know, obviously there's still some things that need to be worked through that way. But for us, I mean – you haven't experienced Vanderbilt until you've been at Vanderbilt until you've been at the heart of this city on our campus. Um, you know, it's an aspect of this institution that makes it unique. This that makes this program unique. I also think the personalities within our football program, uh, will distinguish us in recruiting. And so you can get a, a sense of that through zoom or a sense of that through FaceTime or, you know, virtual visit, but, um, this is an area that I think we'll be able to um, to really draw lines of distinction when people are on our campus, in our city, um, and around our people. Um, and, and those are things that I'm, I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait for that to uh, to become a reality. All right, I got one other question in on uh, Coach Lee here. If you missed it after Friday's scrimmage, you know some fans came out. It was open to the fans and everything. I saw photos of Clark Lee jumped into the stands, greeting fans and everything like that. So wanted to ask him about that. And, uh, you know, because I think he's really trying to do everything in his power to kind of change that narrative around Vanderbilt sports. And when I see stuff like that, I like to call attention to it because obviously Vanderbilt doesn't got a lot to sell in terms of results on the field in recent seasons. But, hey, this is how you get people behind you to where – you know, if you struggle this year, they're not going to be jumping all over you for, you know, they'll rally behind you. They'll they'll root for you. They'll, they'll struggle with you. And, you know, he's trying to get people in the boat early 
I think he gave a re- this was probably the best uh, response he had the whole presser. Hey, coach, I just want to ask you real quick. I saw after uh, Friday's practice, it looked like you got into the stands and just, you know, a little meet and greet with some of the people that came out. Just wanted to ask you, you know, why it's important for you to go that extra step and and just thank the folks that came out. Well, th- this is about community to us. And, you know, this is about rallying support for a program that I believe in. And I believe in these players. I mean, I, you know, they, they are, um, I, I think once people get connected with this program, they're going to realize that, you know, this is, this is a place where, you know, leadership within our country is born. This is a place where, I mean, these guys are going to, are going to set the course for our world in, in the next, you know, generation. So, um, you know, to me, that's something we all should be behind. And when I see people coming out for, um, you know, a Friday evening scrimmage, we changed the time. We, you know, we made it challenging in some ways to get there just by nature of trying to beat the weather and all that kind of stuff. I just appreciated it. And I think, um, I want, I want this community to know their head coach here. I want them to know how important it is uh, that that level of connectivity is to me. And I'm a Nashvilleian. I mean, I, I um, engage in this role with a perspective that, you know, the city of Nashville is important to Vanderbilt. It's important to Vanderbilt football. And I understand that, um, you know, people come from all over into this area. I, w- I want to deliver a product that they can get behind. And I want them to support these players because these players are important to the fabric of our community and our societies moving forward. And, um, you know, that starts with a willingness for me to get out and engage. And we just haven't had a chance to do that because of the pandemic. But as those opportunities present themselves, I don't want to sit back and just uh, and let it happen. I want to I want to make sure these people know the heartbeat of our program. They know me. They know our players and that we give them something that they can believe in and support and know that in supporting Vanderbilt football, you're growing the future leadership of our country. And that's I know that's a big statement, but that's. You know, that, that's how we that's how we view our program. All right, so it's hard to hear those comments and not be buying into what Clark Lee's selling. I know I certainly am. All right, last team here before we get to our interview with uh, Mike Farrell. Jumping all day to Columbia. Well, a lot of the same things you could kind of be saying there, you know, with the Gamecocks, what I just said with Vanderbilt, not necessarily in the terms of the fan base is going to be, the expectations are always going to be high at South Carolina. But more of what I'm talking about is just the situation he's inherited. And, you know, they've got each has a promising quarterback and pieces to build around. But, you know, far, far from a finished product. A lot of the same things I'm hearing from Beamer, just heard from Clark Lee when in terms of, you know, overall depth and Luke Doty, you know, running with the ones. It's, you know, he's not said anything bad about Luke Doty. So don't read wrong here. But every time he's asked about Luke Doty, he basically says the other quarterbacks need to be better to to challenge him. So, you know, that tells me that uh, game's most important position, they they probably don't have an answer for the backup. And as long as Luke Doty plays the entire season, hell, that's not a concern. But you just never know what's going to happen here when we get into the fall. So that's one clip I definitely wanted to play here. Shane Beamer on Luke Doty after Saturday's weekend scrimmage. Let's kick it over to him. Hey, Shane, is Luke Doty's snap count today indicative of him kind of separating himself from the pack through six practices, or is this by design and maybe say another quarterback like Colton or Jason will get more reps next? Saturday? I would say through, um, you know, through 
whatever it is, six, seven practices, whatever we've had, that he's our, you know, top quarterback right now. And I talked about it the last time I stood up here, that it's up to those other guys to make this thing a competition. And, and they're doing some great things, don't get me wrong. I mean, Colton, to be a freshman, I mean, we we throw a lot at him, and he's been fantastic. Jason's been good. Uh, Connor's been good. But, you know, right now, for the most part, yeah, Luke's the guy that's – uh, that we look, our offense looks to as a leader. That's you know going to get the majority of the reps, and and those guys got to make it a competition. And Luke's doing a great job right now, and and uh, got a ways to go as well. We're halfway through spring practice, but like where he is right now. All right, so no surprise. And again, based on all these comments coming out of Columbia, you got to assume Luke Doty. There's almost no possibility that he's not the starting quarterback. But it's remember what we said on the. One of the recent podcasts had Justin Stepp, the receivers coach, on, and he was hyping up this offense, hyping up this system. We all know Justin Stepp's an outstanding receivers coach, outstanding recruiter, but the progression of this team's receivers is likely to define the success of the team this year because we know they got the running backs returning a veteran and experienced offensive line. Yeah, I mean, the biggest question mark is going to be the quarterbacks, but Hell, you could have a hell of a quarterback if he doesn't have any options at the receiver position. It's going to be a long, long day. Seems like Shane Bieber is pretty fired up what he's seeing from his receivers so far. And it's not only on offense, but uh, their contributions on special teams too, which I thought, well, that kind of piqued my interest. Shane, I, I know that you said you were not able to throw the ball down the field today, but you know what have been your thoughts on how the receivers have progressed this spring? Really, really, really like them uh, and what they're doing. I think Coach Stepp's done a fantastic job. We do a um, uh, after every practice, Coach Limbo and the special team staff, they determine a special teams player of the day for everything that we're doing in special teams. And we're doing quite a bit. I mean, you count the walkthrough, we're doing five, uh, 15, 25. We're doing close to 25, 30 minutes of special teams work uh, every single day. And the last three practices, our special teams player of the day has been a receiver to carry on joiner, Trey Atkins and Xavier Leggett. So love the way they're working and the toughness and the mentality uh, the physicality that they're trying to bring to the position. I think all those guys have done some good things. Uh, uh, A.B., uh, Marion Brown made a nice play yesterday. Uh, E.J. continues to make nice catches. Jalen Brooks has really flashed and, and done some great things. Josh Van, Rico, Ortre's done a lot. I mean, I don't want to name I'm, – I'm forgetting people, but really that whole group, uh, you know, I've been impressed with. I mean, they've, they've heard the talk out there. Uh, I'm sure they're human about what they aren't. And I sit there and look at them, and I see a group that's working their butts off and, and uh, making a bunch of competitive catches and, and continuing to try and uh, make plays and working against that defensive back group each day. They're competing and making each other better. All right, so again, hey, a lot of positivity down there in Columbia. That's not something I don't think you could say in recent seasons here. You know, that's probably just the message trying to be relayed to the staff and the players and, you know, there's a ton of work that needs to be done, but it's a lot easier to get all that done if it's fun and it's not a grind and you, and you hate every moment of it. You hate waking up to go do these damn workouts and lift and all this stuff. You just got to make it fun, man. And that's how you attract good talent. That's how you build that team chemistry. That's how you work hard together. Start winning on the field. That's a big key right there. And it sounds like Things trending in the right direction there in Columbia under Shane Beamer. All right, so I spieled all long enough here. Let's get to it. I think this might be one of the best interviews 
we've ever had. Not because of anything I did. Mike just dropping some knowledge, asked him all kinds of questions on what's going on with a lot of these hot topics in the SEC, including the Wade Twins, Kentucky-Tennessee recruiting battle, Henry Toa Toa, Eric Gilbert, that and a lot more. Let's kick it over to our interview with Mike Farrell. Pleased now to be joined by the great Mike Farrell. Of course, everyone in college football and recruiting especially knows that name. He's the national columnist over at Rivals. You can follow him on Twitter at RivalsMike and on Instagram at RivalsGodfather. He's also the host of the Godfather and Gorney podcast. Mike, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you. No problem. So I wanted to ask you right off the the top here, we got a lot of Tennessee listeners to the show, a lot of Kentucky listeners as well. And you've been out there, you know, covering the uh, recruitment of the Wade Twins there in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Those guys are planning to commit on Friday. And depending on who you ask, some people think it's going to be Tennessee. Some people think it's Kentucky. What can you tell us about the Wade Twins? Uh, It's it's a tight one. Um, you know, from, from what I hear from both sides, there's confidence. Um, I think there's a little bit more confidence on the Kentucky side of things. Uh, I, I got the impression that, uh, sort of a silent commitment or at least a, a reassurance to them that they're headed to Kentucky occurred last week. But as we know, in recruiting, uh, every day is different. So heading into this week, I think it's a, it's a pretty good battle. I've got my future cast in for Kentucky, um, but that's very iffy. Confidence level for me would be probably around a four. Um, and again, this, this is talking to both sides. Of course, both sides are going to say they're confident and they feel good about it. I've just heard a little bit more about Kentucky uh, heading into the weekend, and I'll have to dig in some more this week. Now, any concern if Tennessee doesn't land the Wade Twins that, uh, you know, Josh Heupel, the start of his era there, not going great on the recruiting trail, of course, he's not been there that long, and there's looming sanctions likely, but would you have any concern over his recruiting ability if, if he doesn't land the Wades? Um, no, I mean, I think it's too early, you know, to make that leap. Obviously, you know, people want to see immediate um, impact. They, they want to see recruiting, you know, take a, take it to a new, new level. And that's going to be difficult because the NCAA is, is hovering over their head and, you know, you really don't know what type of sanctions are going to come down. This could drag out for a very long time. You know, that's being used against them when it comes to, uh, you know, negative recruiting and, and people say negative recruiting doesn't exist they're they're living in a fantasy world so it's being pointed out to every recruit that's looking at Tennessee that you know hey you might not be able to play in bowl games or whatever the worst situation could be um that's what they'll sell but I wouldn't be overly concerned you know there's a lot of people taking shots at Tennessee these days uh, especially with Rutgers recruiting so well early this season and they're in the top 10 in recruiting and Tennessee doesn't have any commitments and, you know, all that good stuff. It's April. It doesn't matter now at all. What matters is, you know, next December and then obviously the first Wednesday in February. So I wouldn't worry yet. At this point last year, Alabama had more decommitments than commitments. Now, Tennessee's not Alabama, but Alabama fans were freaking out. 
and they, of course, ended up with one of the best classes in the history of college football. So, so much can happen. Well, last thing I got for you on Tennessee, what's the latest you're hearing on Henry Toa Toa? It seems like you've been all over his uh, recruitment since he jumped into the transfer portal, too. And it, I think a lot of fans are kind of miffed as to why one of the best prospects in the transfer portal has not picked a new school yet. Well, I mean, they're being very quiet about it. Um, you know, obviously they were very quiet during the recruiting process itself. And, you know, so you, you go to different sources, third-hand sources, and even those guys are, are a bit out of the loop or quiet about things. He wanted to go to Alabama. Um, the thing that's, you know, sort of scared both sides off was, you know, the lack of the lack of clarity from not only the SEC but the NCAA on, you know, interconference transfers. Uh, you know, there there may be a sweeping rule passed by the NCAA that you can transfer to any school, doesn't matter whether it's in or out of your conference and, and not have to sit out a year. And then there's talk of, you know, having to sit out a year if you go within conference. So Alabama, you know, told them wait until after the spring um, or until after that legislation is passed and who knows when that's going to be. So now he's looking at Ohio State, and there was a rumor he's going to take a visit to Ohio State last week. I haven't been able to confirm that he's been on campus because everybody's keeping it hush-hush. But right now it looks like he's leaning towards Ohio State. I, you know, there was a report that he was back in Knoxville. He was always going to finish spring classes in Tennessee, um, whether online or in person, uh, more, more likely online. Uh, but he was never going to go back there. But I had heard that, you know, they had talked to him and said, if you want to go through spring ball, you have to get out of the portal because he was interested in staying in football shape. And that wasn't something he was interested in doing. So he's not going back to Tennessee. I know that unless everything else falls through. Now, for anybody that's missed it, Mike's been all over this uh, Eric Gilbert saga. You know, a lot of people I thought assumed he's going to Georgia, going to play for Kirby. You put it out there first that I saw headed to Florida. Not long after he commits to Florida, and then that obviously didn't work out. And you've also reported on the fact that uh, Gilbert returned to Baton Rouge to meet with Coach O, and Coach O's confirmed that. So what can you tell us about uh, the, all the drama and the saga of Eric Gilbert? And is it too early to make a prediction on what will happen for him? Uh, no, I, I, I'm pretty positive he's going to end up back at LSU. Um, originally, you know, he didn't want to leave. LSU. This wasn't a homesickness issue ever. You know, it was it was reported as such by people making stuff up. But you know, this was a a situation where some off-field issues uh, came to light and, and really sort of took over for football. Um, and he was forced back home. So the problem with that is you got a bunch of incompletes at LSU and, you know, incompletes don't transfer well, obviously <laughs> to other schools. And, you know, initially it was, it was, uh, I was told that he was going to, you know, go to Tennessee with Harrison Bailey as his high school quarterback. But um, then all that Tennessee stuff started coming down and, and they were pretty much eliminated. Kirby smart was recruiting him himself at Georgia Um you know, then I think he sort of got cold feet, you know, because they've got a they got a team that could make a run at a national championship this year. And, and distraction is certainly the last thing they want there. Uh, Florida really pressed. Coach Brewster's coached some great tight ends, put him in the NFL. Obviously, Kyle Pitts 
is the latest you committed there, but there was really no thought of, you know, how are we going to get them into school? And, and that just didn't work out. I mean, it was just impossible. So the only place he can go is either junior college. This is my intel anyways. I'm not sure if it's 100% accurate. He, he can either go to JUCO or he can go back to LSU um, unless he gets some sort of waiver from Georgia Tech or Georgia as a Georgia resident. Um, and I can't speak to the off-field issues, but I can tell you this. He did go back to Baton Rouge. He met with the coaching staff there. Everything was laid out in front of him as to what he has to do and what steps he has to take. And, um, you know, I, I think he's going to end up back in, in Baton Rouge and hopefully eligible for next season, but we'll see about that. But this is a weird one. It's been crazy. Uh, and, you know, I think it's about to wind down. Now, you may have already answered this, but do you think LSU is going to bounce back from last season's uh, disappointing season and, and contend for the SEC title? I, I do. I mean, it depends on the quarterback situation, obviously. Um, you know, Miles Brennan, I think, needs to be healthy, and, and he's the key, um, you know, for that offense. But they've got so much young talent. We saw how, you know, they played against Florida with so few guys on the, uh, on the roster itself last year. And a lot of the young guys stepped up in a big way. Um, I think Tyler Brennan, you know, obviously the start he had and, and, and the ability that he has in the offense and being experienced in it is the key there. Um, you know, they do have some young, talented quarterbacks, obviously, as we saw last year, a couple true freshmen, but I think Brennan's the key. Now, they're not, you know, competing for the West is going to be difficult. Um, I'm not sure if they've reloaded enough to make a true run at it, but certainly I've got them in that, you know, second, third uh, range in the West if, if they can put it all together. The last thing I got for LSU, recently at Rivals, you gave LSU the title of the SEC's DBU over Alabama and Florida. So head on over to Rivals if you had missed Mike's column on that, but I just want to know how brutal have your mentions been? Because I can't imagine all these Alabama and Florida people, how upset they must have been with that one. Well, the Florida people aren't happy about it, but they really don't have a case to make. Um, you know, I've asked them to. You know, they, 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 they don't. Uh, they just say, look at the NFL. And I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the NFL. And I did my research on this. And um, it's Alabama that really made this a difficult one. And it was probably the only tough one out of the five power five conferences. I mean, Washington was pretty easy. The Pac-12, obviously Ohio State was easy in the Big Ten. Um, you know, Florida State with their success with Derwin James, Jalen Ramsey, and some other guys, David Rose, was easy in the ACC. And the Big 12, that one was tricky as a little bit because Texas has had more and better. But TCU, you know, this year is going to put potentially, obviously, one guy in the first round uh, another guy in the in the second round, and then after that, um, in a couple of years, they've got another potential first rounder. But Alabama was a tough one. They got a lot of first rounders, got a lot of talent. Um, I compared, you know, sort of not not just the the current situation for each player, but how their career has progressed. And I just couldn't, you know, with with the Honey Badger and Jamal Adams and Tre'Davious White and. And, and Patrick Peterson and just they had too many guys that have had not only successful careers, but potential Hall of Fame careers compared to Alabama. So 
to me, it was it was fairly easy after I did the research. But at first, I thought the SEC was going to be a nightmare. Florida is a distant, distant third. I mean, it's really not even close. It's Alabama and LSU at the top uh, with LSU getting the edge. Well, speaking of uh, the Gators, you did over at Rivals write about uh, the top impact transfer running backs in the country, not just the SEC, but the entire country. You put Florida's DeMarcus Bowman number one on your list. Can you tell us why you're so high on Bowman and, and just the impact you expect him to make next season? Yeah, and they they could have used them this year. I mean, the running game was bad this year. The offensive line wasn't great. And you need someone who's going to be able to bounce off, get extra yards, and make things happen himself when your offensive line isn't playing that well in the run game. And that's what he can do. I mean, we had him as a five-star kid when he went off to Clemson. Not only can he run, uh, he can catch the football. He makes people miss. Uh, he runs low to the ground. He's hard to get a shot on. He can you know, uh, spin off for extra yardage, but also, you know, just sort of fall forward with good leverage and gain an extra couple yards. Uh, he's hard to tackle. You know, I think he's going to be great, and now they don't have any passing games. So it's going to be Demarcus Bowman is going to be fed a lot. I mean, Emory Jones is likely to be the quarterback there, and he can run. Uh, but I think you're going to see a lot of Bowman. Lorenzo Lingard's there also as a former five-star, but Bowman's got the upside. Um, it, it would have been nice to see him with a balanced passing offense, but uh, the running game will at least be much improved this year for Florida. Well, also over at Rivals, you ranked the SEC's breakout players number one on the list, Kentucky safety Yusuf Corker. Can you tell us why you're so high on the uh, Wildcat defensive back? You know, it just they don't get a lot of attention – at Kentucky. I mean, Jamin Davis was one of the best linebackers in the country. Um, you know, obviously you're going to, you're going to see guys on the all American teams from Ohio state and, and Alabama and Clemson and, you know, the bigger programs and, and Corker has had a tremendous career, uh, very solid. Um, he's an excellent tackler. Um, and, and I expect him to sort of get that attention. He's kind of broken out. I mean, if you know football, you know who he is. You know he's one of the better defensive backs in the country, and you know his balance of his game when tackling and playing the football. Um, so I put him on there as a breakout just because no one's really heard a lot about him. Um, so to me, he's, he's an established talent that will hit the national uh, sort of headlines next season for Kentucky. Um, you know, it's just – if he was at Alabama, you'd already know about him. Uh, he'd probably already be – in the pros and you know it's just a different world for Kentucky and uh and I don't think they get enough credit for some of the defensive players they've produced well speaking of someone that probably does not have the national profile they deserve what can you tell us about uh this Tyke Smith that Georgia just landed from West Virginia that is that looks to be an immediate upgrade in Georgia's secondary yeah I mean they need help there um, and they made no bones about it. I mean, they, they were really hoping to get a Terry and Arnold down a stretch of recruiting. Who's a guy who played corner or safety. Um, you know, Tyke is a guy who's, he's got tremendous versatility. He could play free, he could play strong. You could put him as an undersized linebacker in some schemes and sets as well. Um, so 
he was highly coveted. I talked to a bunch of schools after he went in the portal who just were would kill for him. I mean, Auburn was one of them, and they had Deshaun Miller from West Virginia um, as a big corner, and those two played together. If they thought they had a good chance at him, but his DBs coach at West Virginia is at Georgia, so apparently that was where he was going to go the whole time. The versatility is the key. He's not going to be put out at corner, uh, but like I said, you, you could play him at free. You could play him strong. He can play the run, play the pass. Um, he's a one-year guy. I mean, he's going to be <laughs> he's going to be off to the NFL uh, very, very quickly. But when you're talking about Georgia and the need that they have at defensive back and this team that has the 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 roster to to make a run at the national championship, especially with Alabama reloading, A and M getting a new quarterback, um, Florida losing all their receivers, you know, in the SEC itself, and then you look at um, Ohio State, you know, breaking in a new quarterback as well. Georgia's got a real shot here, and Tyke was a huge part of that. Now, I wanted to ask you about the first-year coaches because there's very few that know the recruiting landscape, like Mike Farrell. So we got four first-year coaches in the SEC, Brian Harson at Auburn, Shane Beamer at South Carolina, Josh Heupel at Tennessee, and Clark Lee at Vanderbilt. Which one do you think uh, will prove to be the best recruiter, given what you know about those guys or maybe the staff they've put together? Hmm. That's a tough one. I, I, I mean, I think Harson's going to – Harson's is sort of a fish out of water, you know, coming from Boise State, going to Auburn. Um but so far, you know, what I've heard and seen, uh, he and his staff will probably have the most success. You obviously have to factor in that Vanderbilt's going to struggle recruiting, as they always do, because of facilities and academics. And that's just a hard job to have um, in the SEC itself. Beamer's a really good recruiter, um, but, you know, coming off a a two and eight season and being in the same state with Clemson is difficult and Tennessee's waiting and, you know, the NCAA is hanging over their head. So I'm going to say Harson at Auburn. Now it's not easy to have Alabama in your home state either, but it's put together a good staff. Um, there's a little bit of buzz about them. Um, you know, kids are talking about Auburn a little bit and I think they're going to get back into Georgia where for some reason, two things happened under Gus that are inexplicable. He stopped recruiting offensive linemen, which I have no idea why. Um, They took like, I don't know, maybe a total of like eight in five years, which you you just impossible numbers. You can't do that. And, and they, they didn't hit Georgia last year. Uh, They failed miserably. And that's been, you know, really their number one state for recruiting. So I think Harson's got to fix those two things. I know he's not going to let offensive line slide. Um, and, and I think they have an opportunity to get back into Georgia with, uh, with the staff they put together. All right, last question for you, Mike. If I just say how many incoming freshmen or, or signees, whatever you want to call it, from the 2021 class in the SEC that maybe the casual fan may not recognize, but by this time next year probably going to be a, you know, a big name in the SEC based on a, a big debut season – who are, who are the guy or guys that uh, come to your mind? Well, the first one's Mason Smith, who's absolutely killing it at LSU already. Uh, I think he's going to be a first-team defensive tackle for them. He's our number one player in the country, and everything I've heard about from what he's been doing there early has been you know, what we expected, um, which is just 
absolutely dominate. It's going to be interesting to see if one of the Alabama offensive linemen uh, makes the two deep. Uh, J.C. Latham is the one that I would think might have an opportunity. We've seen guys like Jonah Williams, you know, jump in there as as a true freshman left tackle. I think, you know, somebody's going to start off as a right tackle um, at Alabama, and it could be one of these freshmen. And then you got to look to obviously the, the skill kids because there's a whole lot of big men headed to the SEC and not as much skill. Um, but, you know, defensively, I think a guy like Dallas Turner at Alabama could make an impact as a hybrid pass rusher. Um, and Sage Ryan as a safety at LSU, that's one of the areas they need help in. They've got the two corners, Elias Ricks and Derek Stingley. Um, but, you know, they really do need help at safety, and he's a dynamic athlete um, who could do that. The one, the one thing is interesting to me is that when you look at the wide receiver position, which is the easiest position to me to make an immediate impact because you can dumb down the route tree and just use your athleticism, the SEC, other than Alabama, didn't kill it. I mean, Alabama got three of the top 60 players in the country at wide receiver, but beyond that, you're going to start to look at guys like Deion Smith at LSU or, uh, you know, Braylon Brown at Ole Miss. Um, some of these guys that were really under the radar that are going to pop up, Marcus Burke maybe at Florida. Um, but wide receiver recruiting was a little bit down in the conference, so I'm curious to see which guys break out. Hey, I'm sorry. You just made me think of something. I know I said last question, but why have no receivers seemingly emerged for Jimbo Fisher? That seems to be – a missing piece there for Texas A&M. Do you have any clue? I don't. It's weird. You know, I mean, obviously they had depth at wide receiver. Demond Dimas is the guy that I expected to break out. He was a 2025 star, uh, number 15 player in the country. He barely even played last year. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's one of those things you would expect with Jimbo being a good quarterback coach. Kellen Mond was a solid passer um, that, you know, it wouldn't be so much, sharing the football now it helps that they've got so many talented tight ends and i guess that hurts the wide receiver position but no i don't know the reason for that um you know demos is so athletic and so dynamic you know i expected him to at least make a, 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 a at least some sort of impact and, and musha muhammad um you recognize the name is davis in the nfl forever it's another guy out of North Carolina that went to Texas A&M, who was also very good. I think you'll start to see that. But, you know, when you got Widemeyer and guys like that, you're okay if you balance it between the wide receivers and the tight end. But watch for DeMond Demas this year. All right, Mike, I really appreciate you. National columnist for Rivals, Mike Farrell. Again, that Twitter is at RivalsMike. Instagram, RivalsGodfather. Must follow on both platforms. Thanks so much for joining me, Mike. I really appreciate it. All right, anytime. Man, once again, terrific, terrific stuff. I really appreciate Mike hopping on the show, dropping some knowledge. And you can find his Twitter and Instagram and his podcast, The Godfather and Gorney Podcast. I put links to all that in the show notes. You got to give him a follow. He's been in uh, the college football game, recruiting game for, I think, going on two decades here. So, I mean, he he's going to know a lot more than just about anybody you get your info from so give him a follow and and just want to say thanks again i really appreciate all that info he dropped there that's going to do it for this episode 
And of course, as always, you made it this far. Give us, go that extra step. Leave us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. We really do appreciate each and every one of those. I've been seeing an uptick here and sending out koozies, so keep getting those requests in. I'll keep sending them out. That's going to do it. Thanks for joining me. Catch you all the next one.